Welcome to the Thrive Podcast with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. How, how does your faith kind of play into it or does it play into it? What can be done about it? When I say the church, I'm talking about uh, evangelical white Christians and the black folk who attend their churches. Hello, welcome to the Thrive Podcast with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. I'm Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh, and I'm very happy that you chose to either view this on YouTube or listen to it on iTunes or Spotify. We always want to know how we are doing with the Thrive Podcast. You can reach me at fredjeffsmith at cox.net, fredjeffsmith at cox.net. Just drop me a note. Let us know how we're doing, up, down, sideways. We appreciate hearing from you. I'm very grateful today to have as my guest Mr. Scotty Hunter, who is a news reporter for WAFB Channel 9 here in Baton Rouge. Mr. Hunter, thank you for taking the time to be a part of the Thrive Podcast today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. I learned just before we came on the air that you're from Montgomery, Alabama. How did Scotty Hunter get from <laughs> Montgomery, Alabama to Baton Rouge, Louisiana? Uh, well, I mean, the thing about a journalist, I feel like you kind of have to be nomadic these days. I mean, obviously, you can't really start and stay in the same place that you begin. Um, I think it was just the job. I mean, I've lived in Dothan, Alabama. I've lived in um, Lake Charles, Louisiana before coming here. So it's right. just kind of you got to be open to, to moving around. So... Living in Lake Charles, mm -hmm. living in Baton Rouge, aside from the fact that one is a little bit larger than the other, did you get the sense that Louisiana is different depending upon which region of the state that you're in, or did you think that uh, we're basically the same? Yeah, I think so. Uh, it's similar, but then it's different. Uh, I think the hospitality is the same. A lot of places uh, that you go in Louisiana, I mean, people that you meet, they kind of treat you like family. Mm -hmm. uh, they treat you like they've been knowing you forever. Mm -hmm. um, and that's after one meeting or mm -hmm. so. Um, I think that where it's different, though, is kind of in the celebrations. I know um, Lake Charles is a lot more into the festivals, and they'll have you know a festival every weekend, whereas when I got to Baton Rouge, it wasn't really a... A festival kind of place. I mean, you have your festivals, but you know, it's a little bit more. They tend to be more in the outlying mm -hmm. areas and yeah. in New Orleans. Mm -hmm. you know, I have a friend who was just lamenting the fact that every other weekend there's a festival down in New Orleans right. of one sort uh -huh. or another. Why do you think that that festival mania has not taken hold in Baton Rouge? Because you've been here for a while. Yeah. 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 What, what what are your thoughts on that? I don't know. I think it's just, uh, I mean, in Lake Charles, there are a lot of casinos and, you know, there's a lot of manufacturing, things like that. Mm -hmm. So uh, maybe it's just people kind of like that community aspect more. Whereas in Baton Rouge, I feel like there's a little bit more to do um, as far as entertainment wise. So people kind of have more options and they don't really have to rely on that. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I think, uh, you know, obviously I grew up in a rural area, so I understand um, you consider Montgomery rural? <laughs> well, I've, I grew up a little bit north of Montgomery. Okay. So, you All know, right. you say the, the closest, you know, biggest right. city. I grew up in Otago County. Okay. Um, so it was very rural. Okay. And um, so I, I definitely understand, you know, cows and chickens and <laughs> <laughs> things like that. My grandfather okay. raised those. So, I mean. Okay. Yeah. When you have that um, more more rural area, um, you tend to kind of come together closer as, mm -hmm. a, as a community, I feel, and so people kind of gather around those events. We're getting close to Mardi Gras, mm -hmm. uh, and of course that's, uh, New Orleans is, is world famous for Mardi Gras, but 
uh, I was telling you before we started recording, I spent some time in Mobile, Alabama, uh, eons ago. Uh, a lot of people don't know that Mobile has a pretty solid Mardi Gras celebration as well. Uh, is it just South Alabama, or does Mardi Gras creep up into Central and Northern Alabama as well? Yeah, well, it's mostly South Alabama, believe it or not. It's kind of centered just around uh, Mobile from my experience. Mm -hmm. um, when I was in college at Alabama State, University. I had a friend from Mobile, mm -hmm. and she always likes to brag about that's where Mardi Gras started. Right. I don't want to say that too loud here. Right. That's okay. Because <laughs> people get uh, people get protective Truth, about Mardi Gras. But uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, Mobile has a big one. They do the the Moon Pie Drop, mm -hmm. I believe it is. And so, um, but it's mostly around that area. Growing up, I never really I did Mardi Gras. I knew about it. Mm -hmm. I obviously, heard stories about it, and you know, knew that New Orleans was the place to go for that. Right. But you know, right. in Montgomery, it just didn't really reach. There are celebrations also in Biloxi. Uh, I guess there's one in Gulfport, but uh, it doesn't seem to leave the coast. Mm -hmm. uh, you don't find celebrations in northern Mississippi, just as you don't find celebrations really in northern Louisiana. Shreveport may have a party or two, but it's certainly not the same thing as what you have in uh, New Orleans. Uh, as a news reporter, when, when you're asked to cover something like Mardi Gras, mm -hmm. as opposed to covering a, a, a more current event or political event, what's your response to that? Do, do, do you enjoy doing coverage of stories like that as opposed to uh, political things mm -hmm. or or criminal crime uh, stories, things like that? Yeah. Well, I prefer just from the, the shift that I work, I work night side. So normally I'm in from uh, 2 p.m. to 11 mm -hmm. p.m. at night. So, um, you know, I prefer like the crime, the hard news. That's really what we kind of have to bring to the table in mm -hmm. that role. Um, but I can do lighthearted stuff. I mean, it just depends on the day. I don't get to do as much of that. Uh, but matter of fact, I was coming in and I got a text asking me to do something lighthearted. Um, and it's just a discussion, you okay. know. We kind of bat it back and forth and kind of decide what the needs are that day. If I'm uh, by myself that night, then, you know, certainly I won't do anything lighthearted. But, you know, if there is another reporter there, I will kind of get that leeway. Um, I mean, if I have my way, I prefer to do hard news, crime, mm -hmm. politics, um, you know, investigative stories. I've gotten to do a little bit more of that recently. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I prefer doing that. I think those are the things that kind of help people understand what's going on around them, uh, maybe answers questions, maybe shines light on something mm -hmm. that, that people are interested in. Mm -hmm. um, I'm actually working on one for uh, Monday um, out of Baker, um, and I don't want to give too much away about that one, Sure, uh, certainly, but um, it's kind of about protecting yourself against fraud. Uh, it was a case that is going on there, and uh, I think it's something that people will be interested in. You have a wonderful voice. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm listening to it right now. It, it, it's a wonderful voice. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm sure you enjoy doing television. Do you ever think about doing radio? Yeah, uh, actually, I worked in radio before okay. uh, getting into television. Okay. Um, when I was in college at ASU, I ended up uh, kind of working my way over to the radio station. Mm -hmm. We have a jazz station. It's uh, 90.7. Uh, it's WBAS, or the call letters. And uh, so when I was there, I started kind of part-time announcing in between uh, classes. So I kind of worked that into kind of a part-time job, mm -hmm. uh, doing that on the weekends and maybe some days when I wasn't going to school. Mm -hmm. And uh, then I actually ended up in the news department there after graduation. So I spent about two years in Montgomery working for news. 
do you well clearly you, you, your experience is in reporting uh, but a lot of radio today aside from the music part a, a lot of talk radio mm-hmm. is about opinion uh, not necessarily reporting uh, you know Rush Limbaugh and, and, and people of that ilk uh, uh, do you do you prefer dealing with the more matter-of-fact issues of reporting or do you have any interest in doing uh, programming that allows you to share your opinion more than simply uh, gathering facts? Mm-hmm. Well, I won't say I'm completely closed off to more opinionated stuff. Um, I believe just reporting, though, I mean, that's kind of what I've been trained to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just kind of a, a way of life now. It's just, uh, you know, you deal with the facts. You don't really form an opinion. You Obviously, as a human, you have an opinion. Right. Um, but, you know, you kind of have to push that aside and just present the facts to people, let them make their decisions. Uh, certainly in journalism, we deal with opinions because now that we have to do social media and you have Facebook and Twitter, you know, everybody has something to say about, mm-hmm. you know, any story that we cover. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've had people that will try to, you know, say that I have an opinion based on, you know, a story that I've covered, which, you know, most of the time that's not the case. I try to just kind of present the facts out there and let people kind of decide what they want based on where it falls. Do all news reporters do that in, in your in your experience? Uh, I'm thinking now about the national networks. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems to me that, and, and this is my opinion, I, I ain't a news reporter, I can say what <laughs> I want to say. If you want to get a conservative viewpoint, you watch Fox. Mm-hmm. If you want to get a liberal viewpoint, you watch MSNBC. Uh, if you want to get something that's a little bit more middle of the road, in my opinion, you watch CNN. Now, all of these people are supposed to be, all of these networks are supposed to be news reporting networks, but clearly, there is a bent, mm-hmm. uh, depending upon which uh, network you watch. That's my belief. Do you think that that's an accurate belief, or, or, or do you have a different opinion about mm-hmm. it? Well, I think a lot of people kind of buy into that. I mean, I think that certainly when you look at the different networks, uh, people kind of see that there is a, a slant in some cases. Um, but that's why I like local journalism more because you can kind of separate yourself from that, I feel like. And uh, you can just focus on you know your local community. You can focus on the issues that are uh, that are going on right here. Um, and you don't necessarily have to be a part of that larger um, you know slant, I, I would say. I think uh, people understand that and people realize that. Um, if you have situations that are big enough for networks to come down, a lot of times people will recognize that, you know, the local journalists do a better job at covering local issues uh, without kind of turning it into a, a certain slant or leaning a certain way versus sometimes the networks come in and, and people kind of get a, a sour taste in their mouths mm-hmm. just based on that mm-hmm. um, experience. I know I've been here for the flood. Obviously, there was not a lot of national attention on that in 2016, uh, but there was a lot of national attention, like on the Alton Sterling situation in 2016. And some people were okay with how that was covered. Some people didn't really like the way that was covered. And Mm -hmm. uh, they kind of, you know, made it known that, you know, local media was more trustworthy in a lot of regards than, um, you know, people that were coming into this community. So when national, uh, when when, when Baton Rouge makes national news, Mm -hmm. such as Sterling, do national reporters rely on local uh, networks in order to gather their information, or, 
do they come in and gather their own information? Do, do they come in and call WAFB and say, can I talk with somebody? Can I pair up with with a local reporter? As Because they don't know the city. They don't know the people to talk to. They have to gather their information some kind of way. What's the process by which that works? Yeah, normally well, it's not so much a pair-up situation. They will call us because if we do stories, you know, it could be a, a great story, like a, a lighthearted story or a more serious story. They'll call our producers um, and they'll ask kind of what's going on with this. Can they get video? Can they get um, sound, that kind of thing? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, any of the interviews that we've done, uh, that's kind of how the affiliate relationship works. Uh, we share. Uh, we also get to get some content as well. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a, a give and take. Uh, they will bring their reporters in, and they do have field producers and resources that we don't have mm-hmm. that are already in place in certain areas, kind of from a regional perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they can get boots on the ground pretty quickly and get the interviews that they need. And a lot of times they can get interviews that we can't get, you know, from from a local standpoint. But um, then we can still get that on the back end. So it's kind of a, a good relationship mm-hmm. to have. Mm-hmm. WAFB is owned by who now? Gray. Gray. Mm-hmm. Okay. When I was a kid, I grew up here in Baton Rouge. It, it was a guarantee. Uh, broad, it was part of guarantee broadcasting. Uh, WBRZ was part of the manship. Uh, family. I don't think Manship's own WBRZ anymore, or do they? I don't. They do. No, they do. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, they don't own the Advocate anymore. The Manship's owned both the Advocate newspaper. In fact, it was the State Times Morning Advocate, uh, uh, two newspapers, a morning edition and an evening edition, and they own WBRZ. Uh, have you ever worked for a uh, a station that was more locally owned as opposed to uh, more regionally owned? Because because you're owned now by a regional or a national corporation as opposed to a local entity. And if so, what's the difference between working for local ownership versus working for uh, a more national or larger group? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't had the experience of working for a more locally owned. Uh, I would imagine there are some differences, but um, most every every station that I've worked for has been owned by you know a larger corporation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've worked so, for Raycom. I've worked for Gray before. So, so when when you all recruit reporters mm-hmm. in, you all can move reporters within any one of the areas where you own stations? Is that how people move from one area to another? If, if they own a station in Los Angeles and they want to move this person to Baton Rouge, I'm just speaking hypothetically, it just happens because you guys are that large. Is, is that the way that works? Right. Well, it's easier. Um, it's kind of like a, a, a network of stations. Um, so it's easier to, to kind of move from one to one within the company. Um, I came from KPLC in Lake Charles before coming here, and that's our sister station. So okay. it's easier to kind of, you know, go. Do along you that get path. to make a do? Do you make a request, or or do they simply assign you to a new place? Is no, it a mutually agreed upon thing? It's kind of a mutual agreement. I mean, you can you can look at a place that you want to go, and it's easier to kind of apply internally mm-hmm. um, and go that route. I mean, you know, obviously tell your your current boss and the and the. Uh, you know, the person that you want to work for, um, kind of what your plans are. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you do the interview like anything else, um, but it's just a little bit easier to do that. Um, certainly you can go outside the company as well, um, but it just kind of depends on kind of where you are in your contract. There are four 
local uh, news broadcasts now. There's you guys, mm-hmm. there's WBRZ, there's WVLA, and whatever the Fox 44 mm-hmm. call letters are. Yeah. Well, they're kind of one and the same, so. Okay. Yeah. I mean, technically it's three, but. You guys are consistently ranked number one mm-hmm. uh, in, in this area. Why do you think that is? Uh, especially when I was a kid, there were just two stations, WBRZ. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, and for a long time, WBRZ was the number one, well, it wasn't but two, but, 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 mm-hmm. but, but they, they were the predominant uh, network. But for an equally long time now, it's probably been 15, 16 years, WAFB has consistently been the number one uh, local network. What is it the WAFB is doing that allows you all to consistently be number one, in your opinion? I just think that it's, uh, I think people can trust the people that are there. I'm not saying that they can't trust people at another network or another station, um, but I think that people kind of buy into a certain uh, group and you kind of like to see uh, certain people bring you the news. I mean, I, I hear from people a lot that say, you know, I trust you. And that's mm-hmm. the biggest compliment you can get mm-hmm. as a journalist. And when they trust you, they kind of buy into it. They tell their families about it. You know, it, news is a kind of a generational thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so if grandmother watches Channel 9, her children are going to watch Channel 9, their children are going to watch Channel 9. Right. And people kind of grow up seeing that. Right. Um, it's the same way back at home in Montgomery for me. I grew up watching WSFA. And that was what my grandparents watched, my parents watched, and, you know, that was what I watched. And, you know, you kind of teeter and watch the other one every now and again, but it just doesn't feel like home, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think that it, it largely has to do with just kind of what you, what you learned um, growing up. Does your connection with CBS have anything to do with the strength of your local news broadcast? And I'm asking that question because uh, you may or may not know, I'm old. Um, WBRZ started off as being an affiliate of NBC. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was no ABC in Baton Rouge. When ABC finally came into Baton Rouge, uh, at some point, maybe about 10 years in, uh, ABC was the number one national network. WBRZ was the number one local news broadcast. And someone made the decision that the number one news broadcast, local news broadcast, needed to be affiliated with the number one national uh, broadcast. And so they left NBC and went to ABC. uh, uh, And uh, Channel 2 all of a sudden became an ABC affiliate instead of an NBC affiliate. And and 33 became the NBC affiliate. Does it matter which... Uh, national broadcast group that you were with, does that help in in your local uh, ratings numbers? I don't know that it does, because uh, I think people kind of separate the two. Um, largely, I think that, you know, you have an audience that likes CBS, and then you have an audience that just loves WAFB, regardless of, of who it's affiliated with. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that now it means a little bit less than it used to. I think that, you know, affiliate you know, whoever you were affiliated with carried a little bit more weight, mm-hmm. you know, a while ago than mm-hmm. it does now. Because, I mean, now if you have a, a CNN video or you have something that CNN covers, just about everybody is connected to CNN. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you can kind of get the same information wherever you go. 
Um, so well, I, I think really WBRZ's thing was people are watching Love Boat, mm-hmm. and at 10 o'clock, they're not going to change from the channel where Love Boat is on to the local news. Right. Uh, so we need to be on the same channel with Love Boat and Fantasy mm-hmm. Island. Uh, and if you don't know any of those <laughs> television programs, I am extremely old. Okay. But, but, uh, uh, and so, and so you, you're talking about CNN, mm-hmm. but I'm talking really about local news. Yeah. Uh, you know, I watch MSNBC mm-hmm. almost all day. Uh, I can tell when people have messed with my TV because it's on CNN. I keep it on MSNBC almost all day. But when I'm ready for the local news at 5 o'clock, I turn to you guys. I turn to WB. I do not I – do, I don't even think twice about turning to the other folk. Mm-hmm. I turn straight to you guys. Mm-hmm. And – for me, it has nothing to do with the fact that you guys are a CBS affiliate. I just prefer the news coming from you guys. I, I can't sit here and even say it's a trust factor. I just think, if nothing else, I think you guys do a better job. It's just more professional. It's better done. And so I watch uh, your broadcast. Do you think that people are making their decisions based upon what national affiliate you guys are connected to? I don't think so. Um you well, it depends because you have those people that are watching, like you mentioned, the the shows on that channel. So if you're watching Young and the Restless, you're gonna watch, you know, you're gonna stay on CBS. Yeah, but you guys have <laughs> in the, uh, Young and the Restless. Yeah. So if you do that, then you know yeah. you have that crowd that's gonna lean that way. Right. Uh, but then you have that crowd that you know, as you mentioned, that feel like you know I prefer one over the other. Some mm-hmm. people may prefer, uh, you know, that other station mm-hmm. or any of the other two stations, and you know that's kind of what they watch. But Nine times out of ten, um, most of the time I hear people, unless they're lying to me, uh, saying that they prefer WAFB. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, which we like to hear. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm sure, I'm <laughs> yeah. sure you do, uh, because you are a, a reporter. Uh, you have to maintain a, a level of balance uh, with regard to community activities. But you're a human being. You have a wife. Uh, you're planning a family here in this community for as long as you're here. What's your sense of where Baton Rouge is as a community? Uh, what, what are your feelings about the, as you go about doing your business, do you get good feelings about Baton Rouge or, 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 or do you have concerns about Baton Rouge? Mm-hmm. Uh, like with anywhere, um, you know, I think that there are good things and, you know, not so good things. Um, I mean, there are parts of Baton Rouge that I absolutely love, um, but then there are parts I think that could be better. Um, you know, everybody kind of has a little bit of work to do regardless of kind of where you are. I mm-hmm. think some people kind of get fatigued with a certain area, like if they were born and raised there. Um, for instance, coming from Montgomery, uh, there are people there that are like, oh, I hate Montgomery. I want to leave. I want to get out. And, right. you know, that wasn't our decision to, to just leave because of that. Um, obviously, it was career driven. Um, but I think, you know, there are good things that I like about it. And I mean, for right now, it's a great place to live. When you think about the economy mm-hmm. in this city, I'm, I'm not talking national economy, I'm talking local economy. When you think about uh, recreational opportunities, uh, things for children to do, do you think that Baton Rouge is on pace with other cities of our general size? 
or do you think that we need to step up in certain areas? I think that you could step up in certain areas. Um, and not saying that there isn't work that's being done. Like, I'm really excited about the zoo. I've been covering that for a while. And, like, some of the things that they have planned there and mm-hmm. that they're planning on bringing there, mm-hmm. I think that's going to be fantastic for, for kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly, I mean, there are areas that that are already kind of prospering, like the Knock Knock Children's Museum. Right. I think that's great. Um, but, you know, I don't have children right now, so I'm not really in the market for that. Right. But, uh, but yeah, I think that... I mean, they're doing a great job of, of kind of bringing some things here, attracting other, uh, you know, ventures to kind of move to Baton Rouge. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, you can always improve. You can always make it better. Um, so I think just the more that we have people kind of working together to try to do that, the better. What do you think about uh, the relationship between business and uh, government and the relationship between business, government, and uh, the local church. Uh, do you think that that uh, the relationship between those entities is a solid one? Is 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 a growth-inducing one? This is a church, and, and mm-hmm. so at some point I got to ask you about church and 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 what you what you perceive the the role of the church to be in the overall growth and enhancement of the community. Do you think that the church is doing a good job mm-hmm. where, where that's concerned? Are, are we playing our role as partners uh, within the Baton Rouge community? Yeah. I think so. Um, there are a lot of churches all over Baton Rouge, uh, you know, depending on whatever denomination you are or, or whatever you're looking for mm-hmm. kind of in a church home. Um, I think that, you know, wherever you go, you're going to see people, uh, you know, you're going to see the church playing a role in the community and doing good things. Mm -hmm. We happen to go to Healing Place and, you know, we normally will have a lot of activities throughout the year, Mm -hmm. um, whether it's, uh, you know, giving back to the community around Thanksgiving, around the holidays Mm -hmm. or, um, you know, at other parts of the year. I think that, um, you know, we we do a good job at doing that. And I think the church, um, you know, plays a large and significant role in the community. but I think that maybe we need to have a conversation about uh, kind of what people want to see from the church. I think mm-hmm. that people need to uh, be more vocal about that. You're, you're a relatively young man, mm-hmm. late 20s, early 30s. Mm-hmm. Uh, that seems to be the hardest group to maintain within uh, the church uh, these days, I've been doing this now for 34 years, and the hardest group to reach right now, and perhaps it's always been that way, is the those people in the 25 to 35 year old range. Uh, they're not brand oil, uh, and by that I mean the church that they grew up in mm-hmm. is not necessarily the church that they want to attend now. Uh, if you were asked to speak to a local congregation about what they could do to retain their young adults as a young adult, what is it that you would say to them? I think it's just about uh, engagement. 
Um, I think a lot of times people, the reason they don't go to the church that they used to go to or the one that they grew up in is just because a lot of times, um, you know, there aren't as many activities or there aren't as many um, things to do. I mean, you know, people in that age group, that age range, they need uh, stimulation. I mean, we have social media, we have Mm -hmm. so many distractions that are out there Mm -hmm. um, that you've got to be able to get them in, keep them in, uh, and keep them invested in what you have going on. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of times, uh, you know, the church will sometimes become stagnant because they aren't doing maybe as much as they could be doing in the community. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe they aren't listening to some of the younger voices. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's also, you know, something that plays a role in that. Sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, that older group kind of gets, you know, locked into this is how we do things. This is how we're going to do it. Right. And, you know, that's not going to change. And so you kind of push that group out, you know, and mm-hmm. they kind of go and find somewhere else where they can feel you know, part of the conversation and also, um, you know, that there is more happening mm-hmm. than just the norm. Mm-hmm. Back in November, when um, uh, Eddie Responi was running for governor, uh, the Secretary of State, Kyle, Kyle Ardwin, uh, appeared at uh, two Responi rallies that I'm aware of, uh, which is contrary to uh, his responsibilities as Secretary of State. I personally lodged a complaint with the State Ethics Board. Uh, I have yet to receive word from the Ethics Board whether or not they have taken uh, this matter under consideration. I I did receive something saying that they had received my complaint, but they have not said anything to me about uh, how they were going to dispose of the matter. When it comes to issues like that, political issues, you, you're, you're a news reporter. I respect the fact that you have to maintain objectivity and balance and evenness and what have you. But there is a process uh, that that you go through with regard to your reporting. Uh, and, 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 and you did reports on the fact that uh, Mr. Ardwin had appeared at these uh, events uh, for Mr. Responi. Here we are, that was back in November. Here we are almost in February. In fact, by the time this is seen, it will be February. Does it trouble you that government moves so slow in response to these issues? Uh, I'm not asking you to take an, uh, take an opinion one way sure. or the other, yeah. but Again, regarding process, is it troublesome to you that you can file something and it might be three months, six months, nine months before you get any kind of response about that? Mm -hmm. Well, as a journalist, I mean, that's kind of the name of the game. It's always kind of waiting. I feel like you always have maybe like nine things on the stove and you're just kind of like pulling the lid up here and saying, okay, I'm checking on this and, you know, I'm checking on that. Um, government moves slow sometimes. And, uh, you know, as much as we like it to, to be quick and we like it to be, you know, we do a report the next day something happens or we do a report and, uh, you know, there are consequences or uh, there's an outcome. Um, that just doesn't always happen. Uh, sometimes we cover something and it, you know, we just have to continue to keep checking and we have to continue to keep kind of plugging away at it. And um, that's just kind of how it goes sometimes. I mean, so hypothetically speaking, uh, I'm not trying to, to put words in your mouth. Mm-hmm. Uh, you reported on this several weeks ago. 
Do you go to your boss and say, uh, I want to follow through with this or, or, or I, I want to check and see where we are? I'm ready to do a report uh, on an interim basis uh, to, up, to update the community as to where we are? Or do you have to wait until something actually happens uh, before you are dispatched to report on this again? It kind of depends. Sometimes if it's uh, if it's very noteworthy or if it's something that a lot of people are concerned about, um, we'll do kind of status updates or, or, you know, we'll do check-in reports. Mm -hmm. It just depends on the situation. Sometimes we wait until something, um, you know, bigger happens or we wait until there is a next step in the process before we do that. Mm -hmm. um, because, again, we don't want to appear like we're just zeroing in on any one specific topic and just kind of beating it to death, you know. Um, we kind of want to give it time to breathe, you know. We're not in a hurry to, to kind of uh, put anything out there. We'll let the process play out. Um, but we normally will have uh, editorial meetings where we'll talk about, you know, what's next or, you know, what's the update on this story, what's the follow-up here. Because mm -hmm. um, a lot of times stories don't die. I mean, they kind of keep going and, and keep going. I mean, the 2016 flood, that's something that we – covered in the heat of the moment. Um, but even now, you know, all these years later, there are still stories that we're doing yes. on that. We're still trying to walk through the duplication of benefits mess. I mean, it's it's ongoing. So, right. I mean, I don't know that there is necessarily a deadline um, when you come to stories like that. Uh, North Baton Rouge versus South Baton Rouge. Mm -hmm. um, that, that seems to be a prevalent issue. Uh, in in local uh, news today, uh, there are serious concerns that North Baton Rouge uh, has not received the same amount of attention, has not received the same amount of business uh, as South Baton Rouge or even as downtown, kind of the dividing line. Everybody says the dividing line is Florida Boulevard uh, these days. Uh, but if you've lived here long enough, Florida Boulevard wasn't always the dividing line, but but we'll, we'll go with that. Mm -hmm. What is your assessment as to uh, the improvements that are being proposed for North Baton Rouge? Do you think that that's going to get some traction? Do you think that those things will actually become a reality? Mm -hmm. I certainly hope it does, because that's something I've been here now since 2016, and I've heard that you know back and forth for a while in several different areas mm -hmm. about, you know, North Baton Rouge versus other parts of the city. Um, and I think that, you know, it's certainly an area that's deserving of, of uh, economic prosperity. Um, certainly people want to see that area grow mm -hmm. um, and people are invested in that. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that you've got to kind of continue to fight it out. You've got to continue to to bring fresh ideas to the table. Um, I'm hoping that what they're proposing is going to go through and make some positive changes there mm -hmm. and bring about some some, uh, you know, prosperity in that area. Um, but it's just kind of, again, it's a waiting game. You got to see how it's going to shake out, how it's going to play out and, and just hope for the best. Well, it's interesting that government has to be the primary motivator mm -hmm. behind uh, any kind of advancements that take place in North Baton Rouge. I don't think government has to incentivize businesses to uh, invest in South Baton Rouge but they do have to incentivize businesses to invest in North Baton Rouge. Do you have any opinions as to why that might be? I think it could be a number of things. Um, you know, certainly people want to point to crime. Uh, people want to point to 
um, you know, things like that. I mean, but crime happens everywhere. Um, I'm not exactly sure why that would, would be the biggest factor um, in that in that fight. But, um, I mean, you just got to figure out how to combat that. Do you think that race that. has anything to do with it? And that North Baton Rouge is predominantly African-American and South Baton Rouge is predominantly Anglo-American? Mm-hmm. Well, I think you've got to get more strategic in what you bring there. People um, are obviously going to want different things uh, versus, um, you know, just depending on what you want to bring to that area. Everybody wants a grocery store. Well, yeah, everybody wants a grocery store. Yeah. Um, so that's something that should be there. That's something that we should look look at investing in. I mean, that's... Everybody wants a park. Yeah, that's a basic need. I mean, that's something that people want. That's yeah. things that they need. So I, I just find it interesting that there's no problem putting two or three Albertsons in the same cluster mm-hmm. in South Baton Rouge, but there is not an Albertsons anywhere in North Baton Rouge. And government has to incentivize Albertsons or any other private entity in order to invest in North Baton Rouge. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I was, it's a concern of mine. Uh, and, and to me, it's one of the things that keeps this community at odds uh, with each other. Uh, it's it it's you know we try to to nice it up by saying that it's conservative versus progressive mm-hmm. or Republican versus Democrat when really at its root it's white versus black and does news media have a role to play in pointing out the racial disparities that exist within this community? Mm-hmm. I think we do. Um, and to a certain extent, I think that we, we do that. I mean, we've covered stories on, you know, the the economic divide that exists here. Um, and we've done stories on some of the things that need to, to happen in North Baton Rouge. Um, I mean, it's just you can't spend all of your time focused on one particular issue because there's always so much going on. You know, we have to kind of cover it all. Um, so I think that certainly um, there's room for more of that. And, you know, I'm certainly open to doing more of that, um, but it just has to That leads itself. me to a question. How much mm-hmm. independence do you have as a reporter in choosing the stories that you report about? Are, are, are stories assigned to you, or do you have uh, a say, uh, even, even if it's not a universal say? Mm-hmm. Do, do you have a say in the stories that you cover? Yeah, absolutely. Every day we come in and we pitch stories. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll pitch ideas. Um, it'll be, you know, things that we heard about or maybe something that somebody brought to our attention. And uh, we'll kind of present that in a meeting format. And uh, the room kind of, it's like a democracy. We kind of juggle it back and forth and, and see where it lands. And then we kind of go from there. Um, so I'd, I'd say I have a great deal of, of independence in what I'm able to cover. Okay. Um, do I always get my way? No. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that's life. I understand. Um, so, yeah. you know. You kind of you get to present it and then just kind of see if if that's something that we're able to pursue. Has there ever been an instance where you felt passionately about something that you presented that was rejected? Yeah, there's been instances like that. I think, though, that sometimes it's not always a no. Sometimes it's uh, not right now because, uh, you know, sometimes I might want to cover something fun and it's like, okay, well, you know, we just had this big uh you know, plant explosion. So you can't do that. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously you can't do something lighthearted over, you know, something as serious as that. Mm-hmm. So there are some nights and some days where 
you know, you have to cover the big story of the day, mm-hmm. uh, whatever that may be, whether it's a big economic story or whether it's, you know, a big, uh, you know, crime story. You, you know, those are have to covers. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, what you bring to the table may have to uh, be pursued next week or next month or uh, this weekend, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, with regard to uh, issues that extend beyond uh, Baton Rouge into the larger metropolitan area, uh, things that are happening in Ascension or in Livingston Parish or in uh, St. Francisville or Clinton, mm-hmm. uh, things of that sort. Do you all, shouldn't say you all because that makes you think I'm talking about WFB, do news reporters feel like stories that have to do with outlying areas get the same level of importance, get the same level of airtime as stories that deal with the more urban areas uh, that, that that comprise Baton Rouge? I feel like certainly we could do a better job of getting out to some of those outlying areas. Um, you know, I do get to go out to uh, other areas not quite as much as I, I'd like to, mm-hmm. but I also feel like that's, again, it goes back to the shift that I work. Um, you know, working nights, I feel like most of the time we are centered more closely to to urban areas. We are centered more closely to Baton Rouge, mm-hmm. whereas, you know, when you have people that are, are working a day shift, you know, they can kind of get out to those areas mm-hmm. more. Um, do I get to get out to areas? Certainly. Um, not quite as much as I'd like to at times, but I mean... You know, it's something that certainly you can always improve on. I've seen you uh, anchor from time to time, mm-hmm. uh, substitute anchor uh, either the 10 o'clock news or the weekend news. Do you like doing anchor work as opposed to doing field reporting, or is that something that you aspire to? Mm-hmm. I do. Yeah, that was actually something that I wanted to do um, since I was younger in, in high school. Um, that's certainly a, a long-term goal of mine, but um, I do like to still report um, I do like to get out in the community, uh, meet people, tell important stories. So I kind of like a mix of both. And a lot of times that's what our anchors do get to do. They do get to still report f- to an extent. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I would like to still kind of do both. Um, like I said, you're a relatively young man, and you you have served already in several places. Where does Baton Rouge rank in comparison with some of the other places that you have served, and is Baton Rouge a place where you think you would like to spend the rest of your career? Sylvia Weatherspoon has been in, at WBRZ her entire career. She's, I remember her as a young woman, and now she's still doing the news there. She she, she found her place. Uh, Donna Britt, uh, and, and before your time, uh, John Mahaffey, uh, uh, they, they were local icons of, of the news here and uh, you, you really got familiar with them. They were our local versions of Walter Cronkite and uh, Huntley and Brinkley, you know, pe- people that you knew, Harry Reasoner, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Uh, is, is Baton Rouge a place that you feel like you could, you could just plant your flag and be here, yeah. or do you have aspirations to experience other, uh, perhaps even larger uh, areas? Yeah. Well, I wouldn't say that I'm closed off to going somewhere else. Uh, you know, certainly the opportunity is there um, from time to time. Um, 
but I think that certainly Baton Rouge is is pretty high up there. Um, I have no immediate plans to go anywhere. Um, I certainly like it here. Did you hear that WFM? He has no immediate plans to go anywhere yeah, else. Yeah, not right now. Um, but I think that has a lot to do, to do with uh, the people here. I mean, they just kind of, again, they make you feel like family. They kind of just suck you in, and mm-hmm. you know, it just it does feel like home. Uh, Baton Rouge feels a lot like Montgomery to me, um, just from a size standpoint. Um, it's funny you say that because, yes. as I told you, I used to drive right. back and forth to Mobile. Uh-huh. I always thought Mobile and Baton Rouge had a lot yeah. in common. Mobile is a little bit smaller mm-hmm. than Baton Rouge, but I, I always had a Baton Rouge feel yeah. when I was in Mobile. You're saying Montgomery uh, has that kind of feel. Yeah, Montgomery. As, as I'm well. telling you, there are roads that are here in Baton Rouge that I will drive down and I swear I'm in Montgomery. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same kind of setup, you know, yeah. the same structure. So yeah. um, it, it does feel like home. And, uh, you know, we're relatively close to home, um, so I could see myself being here long term. Um, Are your parents still alive? No. Okay. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was just wondering if you had parents back home that you were going back to see it. Uh, I have in-laws there. Yeah, my wife's uh, parents are, are in Montgomery and in uh, Birmingham. So, okay. yeah. Now, Birmingham is a much larger city. Mm-hmm. Much larger uh, city. Although I, I, I liked Birmingham. All of the places that you've been have been in the South. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Right. You've never been East Coast or West Coast or things like that. No. Is that something that interests you? I don't know. It's way? one of those things that's kind of like, would I? Um, but, you know, Louisiana is one of those places that I never thought I'd be. So it just mm-hmm. depends on kind of what happens. A lot of that has to do with my wife as well. I mean, she. Uh, you know, we'll have conversations regularly about, you know, do you want to stay here? Do you want to uh, go somewhere else? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, five de- five years down the road or so. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just depends, um, kind of what we what we decide and what what life throws at us. You were at Alabama State. That means that you were a part of uh, SWAC, mm-hmm. Southwestern Athletic Conference. D- did you play ball by any chance? Or I didn't. Did no. Okay. Uh, uh, Everybody's hyped up about LSU and the national championship mm-hmm. and the SEC and what have you. Uh, what's your attitudes about uh, black college football or, or, or black college athletics, not not necessarily limiting it to football? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, where do you see black historically black college and university athletics moving uh, in the near future? Mm-hmm. Well, I think they could get a lot better in the near future. Um, I think certainly there's a lot of attention on football, um, but I went to college and I knew people that were on the tennis team right. and people that were on the bowling team. Right. And, I mean, there's so many diverse things at an HBCU right. um, that, I mean, certainly it could it could get better. Um, I think we have to kind of buy into it a little bit more, though, mm-hmm. um, like we buy into the LSUs, the Alabamas right. of the world. Right. Um, you know, I love those schools. They're great schools. Um, but, you know, you see people that are more invested in those universities, whether they went there or not. And so I wonder, you know, why can't we be that that invested in, you know, an Alabama State, a Southern? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, certainly they're great schools and they're worthy of, of just as much praise. They are. Uh, and and I, I couldn't agree with you more. And hopefully that will uh, that, that, that will come.
about. I appreciate your time. Yeah. I appreciate you coming by and sharing with us. I really wish that we could have talked a little bit more about politics, but I understand that, <laughs> yeah. that uh, we can't do it. Maybe on the back end of some of these things, uh, we can have you back and we can talk about them there. All right. But thank you for taking the time yeah. to share with Thanks us so today. Much. I appreciate thank it. Thank you for viewing. Thank you for listening. We'll be back again next time.